I chose to be an outreach worker because of the fact that I've been there. I know what it is to be homeless. When I utilized my VI bill to get my house, that was like the biggest thing that ever happened to me in my whole life because they helped me get a piece of the American dream. Choose VA today. For more information, visit va.gov. Oh, let's get it. Monday, July 19th, 2021. Born the Battle, brought to you by the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, the podcast that focuses on inspiring veteran stories and puts a highlight on important resources, offices, and benefits for our veterans. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Tanner Iskra. Wherever and however you're listening to this Born the Battle podcast, be it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, the player inside the blog. Hope you're having a good week outside of podcast land. I am probably just getting back from into the studio at the time of this episode drop, but uh, this is a one-man band and and some interns. Don't want to discredit them. They do amazing work. Couldn't do the show without them. But I can't turn this show around on a dime. It takes a little bit to get an episode out. So we got another rewind for you this week. Again, uh, Born the Battle Rewinds are not normal episodes. No responses to reviews, no news releases this week. We will start that up again when we back when we are back to our regularly scheduled programming. But with all the Born the Battle rewinds, we reach in a bit and bring you some interviews from the archives from the early days of the podcast and let you revisit them. Last week, we went back to the very first interview of the podcast. This week, we'll go to the very first interview I ever conducted. You know, in podcasting, just like anything else in life, when you start something like like a podcast, uh, you're doing it for a couple of years. You go back. You you kind of you kind of get better as you go along. Uh, you go back to that very first episode. And you go, man, uh, I wish I could really do, redo that one and and give it the justice that it deserves. Well, that's what we're doing. Marine Corps veteran Rick Robinson is one of my greatest mentors in my primary field of video production and in life in general. When he came home to the Marine Corps to lead the video production here at Headquarters Marine Corps as a civilian, I learned more from him. I learned more from him in one week than I did my first eight years in the Marine Corps. He is a primetime Emmy award-winning recipient in cinematography and and worked extensively as a cinematographer in LA on many films in the biz that you probably know. Films like Back to the Future Part 2, Coming to America, Harlem Nights. He was also a cinematographer in the music industry, in videos, and on tour with the likes of Michael Jackson, Whitney Houston, Paul McCartney. I mean, do I even need to go on? He is, again, Marine Corps veteran Rick Robinson, and I'm proud to say a great friend and one of my greatest mentors. And I'm happy to be able to bring you this interview again. Enjoy. I knew exactly who I wanted to interview first, and it was you. Well, thank you. I'm honored. Tell me about your decision to join the Marine Corps. And when when did that decision happen? 
I decided, I think, in, I always knew from the time I was, you know, maybe nine or ten, that I wanted to spend time that I wanted to serve. I didn't, I didn't think I was going to do it for, for a lifetime, but I knew that I would serve. Um, and then later... Why? Uh, well, what, was the, what was the impetus behind that? You know what? Um, I grew up, uh, I have a twin sister, and I have um, also uh, two other sisters, uh, and I was the only boy. I, and I, I grew up, I, I never met my father. So I grew up in a household gotcha. with, with no male influence. I had my grandfather who was, uh, you know, he was my grandfather, you know. So I saw him that way. He worked all the time. He worked all day, he, you know, so I didn't see him a lot. Um, at some point, I just felt, you know, I had this thing where when it came time to make the decision on what branch I wanted to join, you know, I always heard that the the toughest branch was the Marine Corps. And it's not that I doubted who I was or what my capability was. Um, but I, but I, I went into the Marine Corps with the mindset that, you know what, I am going to, I have to make it. I have to, I have to prove something to myself. Gotcha. Um, and I remember the night, uh, I went into boot camp when we oh, yeah. got off the bus and finally I think the two days that just they make you stay awake uh, but finally the night that we were able to go to sleep I remember before we went to sleep before we adjusted ourselves um, I had one guy uh, we were at land in the bunk and I said you know what I'm going to be the honor man in this platoon and like and out loud you said that out loud I said that to one of the other marines you know one of the recruits oh wow I said, challenge accepted I said I'm going to be the honor man you know and they said okay Mr. Honor Man so uh, and you know they we we gagged I mean he he uh, there was a little, little little rift between us and eventually um, you know he, he would every a couple, a couple of weeks later he said how's it going Mr. Honor Man it was a joke you know but the day I graduated I was the honor man <laughs> You know, so I was determined. <laughs> you showed him. I was determined. You showed him. Yeah. It was it was it a joke no more. Was it more of a, a handshake and uh, okay? Yeah. Yeah. It, a- yeah. it was something that I had I had I had to prove to myself. Gotcha. And and I was always kind of that way. In 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 high school, I was the I was the the king of my high school. So, oh yeah. Yeah. So. The king of the high school. Where was that? Where Where did you grow up? Washington D.C. You grew up in D.C. in the city that we're in right now. Cardoza. Yeah. Got you. Is it, is it like a, is that the high school Cardoza? Cardozo. Yeah. Got you. Yep. Tell me about either a good friend mm-hmm. or a great leader that you learned from during your service. You know, I guess I had the opportunity to meet and to be exposed to a, a, a lot of great leaders, but I think one that stands out, the, the one who right off the bat, um, when I came out of boot camp. Initially, I was in supply. Uh, gotcha. So, uh, I got meritorious PFC out of boot camp, uh, and then, for being the honor grad. For being honor grad, and then I went to my first duty station, and um, when I checked in, I remember uh, there was a there was a marine. I think he was a gunnery sergeant or staff sergeant. Who, when I first met, you know, he was kind of. Um, he was a, a salty individual uh-huh. uh, and maybe two weeks later uh, from the time that I checked in, 
this guy uh, was was uh, one night uh, he was he was drinking and dro- and he drove and he ran into and killed uh, uh, someone he- head on. He survived. And this then, is your staff sergeant at the time. Yeah, yeah. That's and so and so I learned at that point um, it was a big big lesson because I came in the Marine Corps. In the, in '74, which was really really a bad time, a transition for for me coming into the Marine Corps, um, there was a there were the tail end of Vietnam, yeah. and so there were a lot of issues with race relations in the Marine Corps. Gotcha. Really bad, um, and and uh, even you know recently I I, I brought we I, I, the commandant the 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 current commandant of the Marine Corps. Yeah, that came up. That came up in the conversation, and and we talked about that. And he, you know, we reminisced about that period. Gotcha. Um. So now you, you used to tell me you you went to Beirut, right? Mm-hmm. Um. Was that before or after the bombings? I was there before the bombing. I was the first, well, one of the first. I was myself and one of the person. We were the first. Uh, persons to uh, we went ashore and I was actually attached to the French uh, uh, UN so the, the multinational forces I was uh, attached to them to document the landing of the Marines at Beirut and they were there before this, the bombing before, before the bombing like when when the authorization was, authorization was first given yes and gotcha. that was that was for the evacuation of the PLO, which was the, um, um, and that was Yasser Arafat. And, and mm-hmm. so that's when Beirut was really, it was really, really, really bad. So the French multinational forces were there force first. And then when uh, Ronald Reagan was president, uh, there was a, uh, a campaign to assist uh, the Israelis who were, were, were there. So the, the United States was was to go in there as a, as part of the French as as part of the multinational force, so I was there, uh, and so I was able to be there to document. And I thought that that was I was excited about that because I said you know this is something that I get to document history. And, Absolutely. And so I was there as a, um, as a combat photographer, combat a, videographer. That's what you that's what you do. That's what the reason you you show up for work every day. Right? Yeah. So I was actually floating back at the time. I, I was on leave. I was called off leave. Uh, and I actually, this was, I was at Lejeune. No, excuse me. I was at, the, uh, I was at Quantico at the time. Mm-hmm. So I, I came, I was called off leave and uh, I was summoned to the, Pentagon, and I was given. Uh, I was. We were able to use the commandant's plane to drive to fly me down to Lejeune, so that. Uh, oh man. Yeah, I was briefed here, and and then I was flown down to be able to join up with the uh, with the with the, the Marine Corps. I think it was twenty second mile or thirty second mile back then. I was. It was exciting because you know it's a little too. Yeah, it's like a. 10 passenger jet or something, you know, so I, I thought, you know, this is pretty cool. Like and, a Learjet. I, and I was just a style. And I was just a staff sergeant, you know, so I said, okay, this is kind of cool, um, you know, so, but, you know, I helicoptered into the, into the uh, ship. I reported to uh, the, uh, the, the commander of uh, the 32nd, I think it was 2-2 mile or the 32nd mile. Uh, and uh, back then it was Colonel, Colonel Meade, James Meade. And so, yeah. 
And so I had now, if my, you guys were. I was there via the Commandant of Marine Corps and to document, you know, what was you know, what I needed to do there. So I had special orders. And so I, I kind of was not a celebrity, but I was, you know, was there. You were you know, there on a very specific mission. Correct. From the Commandant. So you fly in, you get on the MAL, uh, you get you get basically with what is now today a MU, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. And you are, you link up with the, the French multinational force and correct. you guys land. Um, so you were there before the bombings. Now, were you, you said you were one of the first after the bombings? Yeah, this is what happened. Once the occupation started, um, then Beirut, uh, became, uh, I can't remember. I was, they were there for like six months at a time initially, I think. And then, um, we rotated our, our unit. So the combat camera folks, we rotated, we're on a rotational base, uh, basis. Gotcha. So I rotated back to the States. And then, so, um, so we were going to be rotating back and forth. And, and within the time that, uh, before, just before the bombing, um, uh, they had another issue, uh, another incident in Grenada and Grenada happened. And when Grenada uh-huh. happened, I, I, I was, I was, I went to Grenada you did go to Grenada. I, I went to Grenada. I did not know that. Yeah, so I was in I was in Grenada, and so when I went when I went there, then uh, so I would have rotated back so. to Beirut. So some of those same Marines, uh, when I was when I was in in Beirut and in Grenada, you know, so like the the twenty second, excuse me, the uh, like uh, I think it was with two eight second battalion eight Marines. Uh, so you know, you get to you know, so I had a little bit. I, I felt like I. I did not know you went to Grenada. My father, okay, so quick story. Mm-hmm. I am currently living in my in-laws basement during my transition up back up to DC. Mm-hmm. His neighbor went to Grenada mm-hmm. and he retires Lieutenant Colonel. So it's quite, I mean, there isn't many Marines that went to Grenada. Yeah. So it's pretty possible you might know him. Correct. Uh, Correct. He was an officer. He was a, I think, logistics officer at the time. Yeah. Um, so I will make sure definitely that he I'll see if he remembers your, you know, if you guys you, cross you paths know. or nothing. Yeah, because last uh, last year we had the the Medal of Honor recipient, uh, uh, sorry, Major Candley. Yes, John, John Candley. Uh, That's one, a hard man. Yeah, he is. But one of the, I think, the generals that was one of one of, one of his commanders was at Beirut, and I didn't realize until wow. we read his bio that we were there together. Wow. So yeah, small Marine Corps, yeah. small Marine Corps. So after Grenada, you went straight from Grenada to Beirut. After no, I rotated back to the states. Okay, uh, and then and then uh, Beirut happened. You know, mm-hmm. the bombing happened, and things changed uh, drastically from that. And it was interesting because I had friends who thought that I was rotated back, and and we also had friends. I had a friend that was uh, had rotated there to Beirut who. We didn't hear it right after the bombing for uh, maybe a, a week and a half. We we thought he was dead, you wow. know, because we didn't have we we couldn't get the uh, we 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 there was no way of being able to contact some of the folks, and so before cell phones. One and day, yeah. one day out of the blue, we get a, we get uh, an email. Uh, excuse me, not an email back then. It was a, a phone call from from him that he was alive. So wow, yeah. Wow, that's that's pretty incredible stuff. So, yeah. so a lot of the footage that you see today, when it comes to Beirut and the aftermath, that's a lot of some of your footage, right? Yeah. Well, you know what? I don't know. I I I, I did have footage because when we were in in Grenada, 
uh, we were, because that was closed to the uh, civilian pre- uh, press, so I think it was pretty limited in terms of, uh, we. our footage was the only footage that was coming out of there. Uh, Beirut, um, a lot of that stuff uh, was the same, but real quick, Beirut, when the day that I thought we would, I was going to be the only person that was, I, th- I thought it was going to be a, a spectacular event because uh-huh. I thought, you know, I'm going to be the only one there. Uh-huh. At the point where at 0400 Zulu, when they were scheduled to come ashore, uh-huh. I'm standing there on the, on, the, on the beach and there was really literally nobody else there. Right, and then as wow. I started to see th- the vessels come ashore, mm-hmm. I hear all this commotion in the behind me, you know, and I'm saying, "What the heck is that?" <laughs> like you're screaming and, uh-huh. and and vehicles and all this noise, and all of a sudden I turn around and it's the whole horde of press. <laughs> <laughs> Here you are. You think I got the shot? I got the that's shot. Going to be seen around the world. That's right. And everyone else comes behind you. I and got the right. shot. <laughs> so really, you were just the first person on the beach to get the placement. Right. <laughs> right. Got you. Right. Uh, so you were Rick. You were a staff sergeant. You were in for over ten years. Correct. Twelve years. Twelve years. Mm-hmm. Uh, what prompted you to leave the service? Well. I was lucky to I I wanted to I wanted to do more after I you know I had an opportunity to to do a lot when I was on 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 active duty um, I was very fortunate to to be able to to uh, uh, get selected to go to a, uh, to to film school uh, at the University of Southern California at USC now is that now I went to the Syracuse program through the same thing is that was that before Syracuse was that before Syracuse like a same like a same type of program correct. Got you. So I was Very selected cool. for that. And then after that, part of the program, one of the things that the beauty of, of that program, you know, is that, uh, you know, I had to re-enlist before I left to, be, to, to accept it. And I did um, exactly the amount that I was had, that I had to give back to the Marine Corps. And then I got out. And that sounds. So what know, did you have to give back? Three years, one year of school for three years? Yes. Got you. Yeah. I, could, I had to give back. Uh, I think I had to do back. Uh, was it six years or three years? Uh, it may have been six years. I had to, no, it was three years. I had to extend okay. to do that, and so I did that. And um, but while I was there, one of the things, one of the beauty of being in California, for one, and being at the University of Southern California, you were right in the middle of everything. You know, yeah. so one of my, oh. one of my, one of my, one of my studies, one of my classes that I had was to, was to go to the Burbank studios, which is Warner brothers. Now wow. Warner brothers studios and hang out on the lot. And that was my, that was school. That's what I did. So you lucky man. And, and so I had one person who, uh, it was even better because the, the one person that was the contact person at at Warner Brothers Studio was a gentleman named Dick Barlow, who was the head of camera department for Burbank Studios. And he was a former Navy chief. And oh. and so he was, you know, he he hosted us. So, so we were part, a class of three people, uh, excuse me, of 11 people. Uh, and the 11 people consisted of, I think we had four Marines and everybody else was Navy. So oh, wow. he was a former Navy chief. So he loved, he's excited. He loved He's it. excited. And he's got Marines yeah. and sailors and on the lot. Of, he but said he let us, he let's just hang out with, uh, and back on the, back then, I think uh, the big, sh- the big, the big, uh, film on the lot back there was, uh, was Blade Runner. Um, 
but I could hang out. So on. you saw Blade Runner actually being filmed? Yeah. Yeah. So we could hang out on a set. We hang, hung out on set. We, back then they had shows like television shows like uh, Hotel and, and Fantasy Island and uh, the Waltons and, you know, stuff that the millennials here, I love them, but they probably don't even know what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> those are some i mean those are some of the the the, the classics you know yeah. uh so you, you just your your job was to go to school and to watch the waltons production well, live that was one class Runner. yeah that was oh, one that class. was one class yeah so we also had you know, you know the, i'm just salty right now i just gotta be honest with you because <laughs> i get a bunch of snow at syracuse right. and i get mr rick robinson here that gets to go to usc go to time was it time warner or warner no, brothers, it, warner was brothers. D- it was wb mm-hmm. and hang out with like harrison ford and blade runner mm-hmm. so uh, excuse me if i'm a little salty <laughs> It was, I, you know what? I I I was blessed. That prom that I could see where that would say maybe maybe life's better on the other side. Mm-hmm. So you left after twelve years, mm-hmm. and you know I'm looking through your IMDb and you started working as a, a camera operator or assistant camera operator. I see things like things that I remember as a kid, like hard copy, and coming to America, and Back to the Future Part Two, and Ice Cube's The Players Club. Uh, it's pretty safe to say you worked on some pretty big films. I was fortunate, you know. I was very fortunate when I left the when I left the Marine Corps. I was determined that I wanted to go to Hollywood and be, uh, you know, work in the film, film, film and television industry. I wanted to be able to work at the highest level that I could, and I didn't know anybody, so it was really hard because I didn't, I didn't know a soul. Um, and one of the things that I that I love, and even uh-huh. to this day. Um, it's classic cars. And sure. when I was a sergeant, I had a 1957 uh, Corvette. I had a 1961 Corvette. Solid. I had a Brickland Goldwing uh, uh, SV1 car. Um, but these were, this is what I love. I had a 55 uh, Chevy Bel Air. And people look at me and say, you're a sergeant. How are you driving those kind of cars? Well, I didn't drink. You know, I, I, <laughs> That's like half your budget. Yeah. So <laughs> half I, of a Marine's budget. Yeah. So... So that's what I love. And, and that was what I used uh, in thinking back because I'm at a crossroads now. Um, thinking back, I looked at how what I needed to do to strategically get into the film and television industry if you don't know anybody. Yeah. So I had my my Corvette that I used that I would drive my Corvette and, I, and I'd park. I, I never forget. I went to L.A. and I said, how do I find people who work in the film and television industry that – as a cameraman, how do I get in? Although while I was at USC, you know, I, I knew Dick Barlow and, and, and Dick always said, let me know, Gunny, when you ready to get out of the Marine Corps, let me know. I'll, I'll, I'll get you in the union. And I said, getting me in the union would be great. Um, so when I came, uh, when I got out of the Marine Corps, I kept in touch with them. And when I got out of the Marine Corps, I said, I, I remember the day I drove on, I was able to get onto the lot at Warner Brothers. How? Uh, you, you can't just say I just drove on to Warner Brothers. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. Back then it was bef- that was pre nine eleven, so there were a lot of things that you could do. So now gotcha. it's a little bit different. Yeah, you know? sure. So, um, but back then I could go on because there were there were guards. You know, you learn people. There were guards that they remembered me. So when I was, uh. I used to be able to get on Paramount or. Warner Brothers, because I knew the guards, you know, so they, they, they knew me. So that, that was a, and my car stood out. So my, my car, because, it, you know, it was a 
56 Corvette. Uh, it stood out, you know? And so one of the things that, uh, uh, that I was able to do was to go to Panavision and the places where I knew that, um, where camera people would, would, would congregate. congregate. And so, um, I drove my car. I remember one day I parked my car, my, my car, my Corvette in the parking lot. And, um, and so I walked in and someone told me, you got to meet the guys there. So I, I met one of the guys that worked at Panavision. And so he, he, he took me in the back and he showed me all the, he showed me where the board was, where all of the assistant cameramen came there to prep their camera gear. And he said, he said to me, he said, listen, he said, you're able, I'll let you come any day you want. You just come in and you can come back and, to the board and look and see who's who's prepping what who's who's there and um you know and this is a good place that you need to meet all of the top assistants because these are the, these are the guys that's that work for all the big directors of photography who works for the big directors and who did this for you uh this is just another guy at panavision that i i just happened to walk into panavision and so i was there and then in the middle of that i love it just i just happened to walk into yeah, these places and some some guy says I hear some guy say, oh, man, did you see that? Oh, that's a t- did you see that Corvette in the parking lot? Uh, did you see the 63 Corvette? And I said, it's a 56. And, and, and he says, is that your Corvette? And I said, well, yeah, it's mine. And that 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 kind of got it started. That's, right? the, that's the conversation started. Yeah. Was this? And, and so the person happened to be John Shiner, who was the who was prepping for coming to America. Right. And so I so I and that was turned out that it was a good thing that I, you know, the the, the tip that I had on on knowing who the people were. So I, and all these top assistants, they were all there, whether it was a uh, someone were prepping for a uh, a television show or whether it's a, uh, a music video or whatever it was, they were that's where they were to prep. And so I met John and I said, John, you, you know, um, he said, he said, is that your Corvette? I said, yeah, it is. He says, that's, that's really cool. So he said, what's going on? So I explained to him what I just gotten out of the Marine Corps and, you know, and they thought that was cool. And, and, um, I said, I, you know, I'd like to help your prep, you know, I, I mean, I'm not in a union, but yeah. whatever I can do. He said, I told him I was, ex- I was accepted into this training program, which uh-huh. Dick Barlow set that up. And he said, he came through and said that he said he would help me get in the union. So he, turns out that he did and he got me into a training program that was that would legally allow me to join the union so oh wow uh so i had just been going through that training that's a big help it was a huge help i was at the end of the training of of that piece and then so i told told john shiner i said you know what i i'm uh um i'm on the training program but i'd like to be able to help you i you know i i know you can't pay me so he said, "Give me your name and 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 I'll call you and see what 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 happens." And so he called me. I, I forgot about it. I thought he wasn't ever going to do that, but a week later he called. He says, "Yeah, hey, uh, this is where I learned right off the bat how to negotiate and how to talk, how to communicate with these guys." So he says, "I'm calling to check your availability," uh, and I went. Um, Who's this? He said, "This is John. John Shine. I'm just checking your availability to come work with us on coming to America." And I said, "Uh, you know what? Can you hold on for a second, John? Let me check." Can I wait? Uh, you know, I just happen to be available. 
for those of you, I mean, this is an audio show, but when he paused, he did a very like grin, like, oh my gosh, this is my moment. Um, that's, re- that's a really cool story. Yeah. I mean, so you were off and running, you're just making films with John Shiner as an assistant camera from then on and getting into the union and, and getting those hours. Cause that's the, the it's kind of part of it is, is you have to get the hours to get into the union. Correct. There's a catch 22 with the, with in Hollywood, there's a catch 22 in order for you to work on a, on a, on a show that's a union show, you have to be a member of the union. And in order for you to, to, to be a member of the union, you have to have the qualifying hours, at least 300 hours on a show before you can join the union. So it's a catch 22. It's a who, you know, yeah, it's, it's a who, you know, and it's a lot of nepotism. And that's why everybody's name. When you talk to a person, someone, you find this person who, who's uh, been working forever and his, his, uh, his son is junior and his, 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 grandson and it's just a whole family of people they're all all related it's like the mafia it is it is <laughs> but i will say i met my wife on on a show which one i met her on a show called uh I, I saw her on coming to america but i met her on harlem nights which was another eddie murphy movie got you how'd that go down um that was that was based on a relationship that i met with uh uh, the first film that I worked on with uh, Coming to America, uh, the same director of photography, uh, um, he liked me and he and he actually um, was he invited me to come work with him on on uh, on the, the other show. And then I happened to meet my wife. She wasn't checking me out in the beginning, you know. <laughs> she didn't see the car. She, say, she who's actually got, thought, whose whose car is that? No, no. She actually she didn't see the car. She actually she actually. Uh, she actually thought the guy that was the camera, the A camera operator on the show, you know, he's, he's, he's pretty, he's one of my mentors, but you know, he's, he's got a lot of swag. He's a, he's a, he's a good looking guy. And so I didn't exist. She didn't even see me, you know? So I remind her of that, how she didn't even pay me attention. So <laughs> to this day, you remind her not to the show, second show when she, she, rec- she recognized me. What was she doing on the show? She used to work for Eddie Murphy. She was actually one of Eddie's uh, assistants. That's how I met her. <laughs> Did you, I mean, how close were you to Eddie, Eddie Murphy? Um, well. I mean, you, 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 know, you know. One of the things I. I look, his assistant here. Well, I, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I, I wanted to be this story to be believable and, and and I pinch myself a lot of things a lot of things I've experienced in my life I, I pinch myself because Eddie Murphy um you know I used to go to his house it, it, you know because a lot of celebrities they have their own in their homes they have their, they don't go, they can't just go to the movies so they have movies come to them you know Got so you. I, so I had you that know so sense. we met you know Eddie coming to America and Harlem Nights were two shows that um no matter who I, I I talk to, they've heard of that. They've heard of that, and they remember that. And so the crew was really tight, and and so we met so many people that I still keep in touch with. I was one night I was at at, at the newsstand, and I, I I ran into one of Eddie's guys. And he says, "Hey, what are you doing?" I said, "Hey, well, I'm just you know at the newsstand." And gets he says, "Well, come over to the house." And I went uh, to to the house. Yeah, come over to the house. To so, the house. To Eddie, Eddie's house. Ah, to so, the house. Yeah, so yeah. that's what, so that was one of the benefits. Didn't always happen out like that way. Didn't always turn out that way, but that was. That but it's was, fun when it did. It was cool. It was cool. <laughs> Plus I had the car, the Corvette, you know, so that was. The, the talking point. <laughs> Gosh. So 
in addition to some films, you also did, you, I mean, you traveled with like a who's who of music at the time. I mean, you were a, a videographer for Whitney Houston and you were on the bad tour with Michael Jackson. Yeah. I was on well, the, not the, not the bad tour with Michael Jackson. I was on the, uh, dangerous, dangerous tour, da- dangerous world. Tour. What was that like? I mean, <laughs> well, you know what? And how did you get there? Well, was it the Corvette? Well, it was the Corvette wasn't it? The Corvette was related to it because I use that. <laughs> that's the common thread that I use. Uh, it, I, I got a feeling the, the, our <laughs> listeners are from are forever going to be like, check one, get a Corvette, get a Corvette, or something. You have to have a gimmick, and the gimmick that you that would get you in the door, and you know. But you also have to have. It's more than just the gimmick. Sure. It's more than just you get the substance behind it at the end. But yeah, yeah. It, and that was my gimmick. So um, the the Michael Jackson piece um, turned out that before I actually had an opportunity to work with Michael Jackson, I had uh, I got a call for I missed a call once for a Michael Jackson video um, because I was working on something else, and I would I beat myself up because I missed that call. Sure. And, and, and that, what year was it at that time? Oh, that would have been like 90, 1990, 1991. So he's hot at that time. Yeah. He's, he's coming on. Yeah. yeah. And so the thing is, is that you know, it, was, it was a, it was a bummer that I missed that, yeah. you know, but I, but I was working. Um, so it turns out that the person who this little production company I was working with at the time, um, uh, had a, an in with one of the persons with Michael Jackson and, and director of photography by the name of Joe Wilcox and Joe Wilcox, um, um, was, was the person that would hire, he's the person that eventually hired me. Gotcha. Uh, And I went out, I was got, I was called, I asked this person to talk to Joe and see if, is there any possibility that maybe he could, you know, get me in to work with that. I'd love to work with him. Yeah. And, um, I don't know, maybe a month went by and one day I got a call from uh, Joe Wilcox and says he wanted to check my availability. Now I learned the lo- I've learned the lingo now. So I said, you know, so I said, I didn't, I didn't pause on that one. I, I jumped on that one right away. Now I'm available now. Yeah. I'm available right now. I'm available yesterday. I, I can push some other things away and, and out, but yeah, yes. So I, so I took it. It was for one day call. It was for one day and I stayed and I worked with him for almost two years. Was it like one day contracts every time? It was like, hey, maybe I'll see you tomorrow. Well, <laughs> well, you know what? You have to understand at certain certain gigs. Yeah. You know they it's it's like it's a who you know and 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 how you know how when you take the job it's one of those things that you you never know you know um, you could take some you could somebody that you can't you can't mesh with someone that yeah. has a bad personality so it's it's very very. Political. Relationship driven. It is. And so I was able to uh, make a, a good impression. And so I was asked to stay. And then uh, and then that turned that one day turned into him, uh, Joe, saying, listen, um, this was a test. Uh, we've got a uh, an opportunity. Uh, if you're interested, uh, Michael Jackson has been invited to um, to to Africa and he want you to go we want you to go uh, as a documentary part of the documentary camera and, uh to document that and if you're if you if you want to do it and I said yeah well let me think about it uh yeah of course and I did it <laughs> he's so. doing the same grin again where he's like oh my gosh is this really happening but yeah so that turned in and so that turned into uh that experience worked worked out really well and then I was invited to the to the world tour so and then once you do one 
one world tour that was it, it made it a little bit easier to me for me to get to the to the other one. Actually, before Michael Jackson, I had done Whitney Houston's "I'm Your Baby Tonight" world tour, um, and I did that for uh, the North American uh, and and Europe and. Yeah, it was North America and Europe, but that tour, that leg. And then after that was the Michael Jackson opportunity. And then after Michael Jackson was Paul McCartney. And then, you know, so I've been I've been fortunate. I've been very, very blessed. I did. I, I would say so. Well, you know, people because, you know, when you when you transition and you look about when you look at this and people people look back to me and say, well, how in the, how in the heck did you end up? going back to the government. I don't get it. Yeah. You know, you were doing all this. And I said, well, you know, things, you know, I did things in reverse. You know, I bought my, my house when I was, when things were, when things were rolling, cause I was, I was doing well. You sure. Know? Um, um, I bought my house when it was, when the, um, when the, when the uh, value of the properties were high and I sold it when it was low. So I lost money. So, oh, no. <laughs> so I learned, so I had, uh, that was the first time. Rick but, Robinson, life in reverse. Exactly. That, that's your, that's and your so, bio. Yeah. So right my there. whole, so my whole thing is I did everything out coming out. People talk about you go to college, you learn the craft, you go out and you get a job and you make a lot of money. Well, that's what, not what I did. So I did the opposite. So I made a lot of money, and then I then I ended up uh, coming back to the government. But I love it because I came back to where I started, and there was a okay. reason. That you, let in me between into that it. time, you had like a like a Russian oligarch like yeah. little detour, right? So like yeah. you left Hollywood and you went to like the South Pacific for a while. Yeah, I was in Southeast Asia. Uh, I also taught. I had a I had one day. I was that's at, right. I was in a. Um, I used to be a member of the Fuji Film Club, and so with that, um, I met uh, uh, someone there that was. She ended up being a, a, a very, very big influence to me uh, and, and a mentor for me. Uh, her name um, is uh, Brienne Murphy, and so Brienne was. Uh, she was the first female cinematographer to join the union. Um, and, and so she was, she was influenced to me because we met and for some reason she liked me. I don't know why. And, and all of a sudden the car and no, I think I had, I think I had, I didn't have the car at that point. Um, (laughs) but she, she, she called me a couple of days later after we met and she said, she said, how would you like to teach? And I said, teach, I have never, that's not my thing. She said, well, I think you'd be a great teacher. Well, I was still working, so I could still work, um, you know, work and during the day and 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 teach uh, in the evenings. And if that was that was an opportunity, um, she was the person that she, you know, she'd been there and done that. You know, she had uh, all of the. Op- she's the first woman um, to be a part of an all man's club, you know, to be a cinematographer. Almost like, yeah, got you. Yeah. Got and you. She so broke the mold. She brought, she broke the mold. And she, when she said to me that night, she said, I think you'd be good at it. And she asked me to come visit her. And I went and visit her and she said, I think you'd be great to do that. And I, and, and I went into her office and her, in her office, she had a, an Academy award uh, that for a technical Academy award on her desk. And wow. she had an Emmy. And I said, wow, I said, you know what? Can I hold it? <laughs> so she said, sure. That's why it's there. So I held her Emmy 
and 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 I held her Academy Award, but I held her Emmy the longest, and I said, "Wow, this is cool." And I mean, one day I'd like to be able to do that myself. And and, and you did. And then uh, you you eventually so like a year and a half later. Before, yeah. Oh, really? So yeah. it was that quick? Yeah. Your IMDb says uh, Aladdin on ice. Aladdin on uh, Aladdin on ice. Aladdin on ice. No, Which it's is, it, it's it, it's actually no, it's it's Beauty and the Beast. Oh, you got to get the editors to change that on yes. IMDb then, because yeah. But so you did you did both of was that ABC was that no CBS that was CBS yeah. So like out of all every, everything, you have your whole resume of all these great movies, and then you, it's like the one that you actually got the award for was uh was like an ice skating yeah that, that's yeah but you know what there's a story behind that. All, a lot of what I think and I attribute to some of the successes and some of the things that I've had, yeah. good or bad, were uh, things that came from being a Marine uh, and learning that um, and, and dealing with things, the adversity and, and where you can make, make uh, excuses for, for, for being black or for, for, for whatever reason that you can, there are no reasons. I mean, there, I mean, there, there are people who have issues with who you are. They don't, don't agree with who you are, mm-hmm. but a lot of times it's because they don't, they don't know who you are. Um, I was, you know, the person I met, I was for a film that I did and I met a director who we both came into this, into a show that had been started and then it kind of, they had problems with the crew and then they he was he came in as a replacement director and I came as a as a replacement director of photography um and he he's, he's still today to this day is a good friend of mine um but he was the person who invited me to Egypt to do another Disney <laughs> Aladdin on Ice that's what we did you guys uh, did it in Egypt did, we did it in Egypt and and he invited wow. me there and uh, it wasn't like the hockey rink here no, in DC. No. You were like, "Oh, we're doing Aladdin on Ice." Yeah, because Egypt. because the Aladdin part was supposed to be where where it's actually uh, uh, it was a flying carpet piece, and so what they wanted to do with that flying carpet piece was supposed to be able. So one of the coolest things I did was to be able to shoot uh, uh, in a helicopter uh, down the Nile River, so that we could get subjective uh, perspectives of. <laughs> drive wow. of, of flying through the Nile River on a helicopter you know so that was so we went through Khartoum which is the city of the dead of the gods and wow. and, and all it, and it was was very interesting um, but the, the the I can see where you got the Emmy now because it's so yeah, unique yeah but the big deal is there were people on that crew who had problems with the fact that I didn't belong they, I wasn't part of the crew. It's a, such a click. The challenge that they gave me, and they were some of them were really not not kind. They gave me. They also had a six hundred millimeter lens, right? So guess who got the six hundred millimeter lens to use? Me. Right? That's a big lens. That's, that's a that's huge, a huge lens. Huge lens, and and it's really, really hard to operate. So what they did is they would uh, like during the day when we're shooting out on. You know, in the rink and, um, you know, with with the actors and stuff, they said, um, you know what, let's why don't you go out and just get some stuff. Just go out out and get some B-roll, get uh, some scenics, get some scenics and and uh, take the 600. So I went, <laughs> what can I get with a 600 millimeter? And then I stopped and think, I thought about it. I said, you know what? OK, all right, good. So what I did is I, I went <laughs> I, I went downtown Cairo. And there were 
there was one scene that I that I shot where it was long lenses. When you have a long lens camera, you get the heat, uh, vi- uh, uh, the wavy, the, the wavy heat, yeah. heat uh, effect. Yeah. And so I had that. There was a there was a like a um, streetcar where you see the streetcar coming at you, and then you see the the waves, the heat waves. And then the key, the it stopped, and as and when it stopped, you start you saw people get out of the streetcar, and then so you had people in turbans, and you had all of this livestock, and it was it was an amazing shot, right? <laughs> so I said, okay, cool, I can work with this. So I I got a whole bunch of those type of shots. So I went back, and so you know they went back. They went. So how'd it go? I went. I, you know, I I, th- I think it went okay, and. I showed them the footage, man. They freaked. They couldn't believe it. So then they uh-huh. said, oh, "Okay, okay." So guy knows his stuff. Yeah. So the next, so the next day, you know, they said, "Go back out, but leave the 600." <laughs> <laughs> I want that shot. Right. Wow. So I got you off the 600. Yeah, but they put me. So the next day, they put me back inside with them on the ice, and they said, "Okay, use the 600 on the ice." And I went 600 on the ice. So we're we're talking about U.S. Olympic. Skeeters going, you know, skating, you know, 60, 70 miles an hour. And I'm, I got, I've got to keep them in focus. So the shots, they said, yeah, well, you're, you're a cameraman. That's what you're supposed to be able to do. So, you know, they want me to shoot the, the, the long tips, lens, shallow depth, the of field. long lens shots of the, the, the tip of the blades of the, when they're doing pirouettes and stuff like that. And, and those are the shots they wanted. Crisp, clear, crispy shots that, that, that they could use. And, you know, it was tough, but I was able to pull it off. And again, they just, they couldn't, they couldn't stop me. I was, you know, I was determined that I was not going to let them do that. So my, my whole thing was that was the Marine in me that decided uh, I'm not going to let you just, you know, I'm going to outsmart you. Gotcha. No quit. Persevere. Correct. Gotcha. Very well. So you went to, after the, after the Aladdin uh, on ice, you went with an, a Russian oligarch, right? Or, or what was this guy that created Bigfoot media out in the southeast, and you did films for? Well, you know, I came back to LA, uh, and then um, th- there was a there was a period where the film and television industry was was in a tr- in a tr- in a change uh, in a period where there was uh, what they had runaway production. Uh, they had issues with keeping productions in LA. Um, and so they had gotcha. people uh, shooting in Canada and 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 in south in the in the south. Is that uh, where you start seeing in Vancouver and yeah. New Orleans? Yeah, and- you start seeing that. And then so what ended up happening is um, uh, I had friends who, and, and including with me, I mean, it was tough to get work, you know. And gotcha because production uh, uh, producers were just, were taking stuff out of town, you know. And if you didn't have a a show that was um, you know, where you had a family, like a, a series that you'd been working on. I mean, like friends or cause yeah. this is like the mid nineties, right? right? So like friends and right. Seinfeld, if it wasn't something like that. Yeah. Then you had to find, you had to find work. And if you wanted to keep working, you you know, so I had to, I had to be a little bit diverse. So I looked in the, in the, in the Hollywood trades, uh, and there was an ad in there for, uh, because I, because I, I did teach, uh, if it, when, when, uh, when Brianna Murphy offered me to work at uh, at at uh, Columbia College Hollywood um, teaching film, uh, yeah. I did that, and then that 
primed me, you know, because it was very re- a rewarding experience. So I worked there. I did that. I did uh, UCLA. I worked uh, at the UCLA Extension. Uh, I, I taught there. I taught cinematography and videography, and and so gotcha. I, I I and so when I saw this ad for Bigfoot, and they were looking to start a film school, um, and so I I went there, and but they were looking for people uh, experienced. Uh, people who worked in the industry uh-huh. um, and they wanted me to be able to u- utilize that opportunity to, to teach and to bring that, that skill set with them. Um, and so, this is located in Southeast Asia. This is like, is that this like was, on the flyer. Yeah, this, yes, this was a flyer and it was a place I'd never heard of. It's called Cebu. This was in the Philippines, right? Uh-huh. So this, this person who actually uh, started all this, uh, uh, Michael Gleisner, was, uh, he used to be, uh, he was initially was a um, part owner in Amazon and he sold his shares. Interesting. And so he sold his shares for, I mean, I, I was told, I, I can't confirm it, but something like $500 million. And so he took that and then reinvested How that. How much do you think that's now? Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't even want to think about it. So, <laughs> But he bought Bigfoot. Uh, and it was- He just in, bought was, the company. He bought the company. And, and so that was initially in New York City. Uh, and in a building, I, I think it was next to the Trade Center. When he bought it, he decided, you know, he was going to go on, on a look. He was going to uh, treat himself to- uh, sailing uh, around the world, so he's he went. I think he was in somewhere in in Southeast Asia, and and nine eleven happened. And so when nine eleven happened, um, he couldn't get back to the states. And so what ended up happening was he um, he, he, could, he couldn't get back to the he states couldn't get back to the states, and he felt and he but at the same so he so he he decided. You know, he's just going to enjoy his his time that he's there. Um, With five hundred million, you can do that. Yeah, but at the same time, he uh, had this idea that he wanted to now maybe decide to move his company because now he he has no more company in New York City. Everything shut down in New York City. Wow! And, and so, so his company got destroyed because of the towers. Correct. Correct. Wow! So he moved everything. So he moved. He started looking for land to purchase in 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 the Philippines uh, and other places in Asia. Um, that he bought, Interesting. he bought land and he decided he was going to build his own oasis. So he decided to build uh, a film school. Well, he wasn't between you and I, this guy was not a photographer. This guy wanted to be a photographer, uh, yeah. but he, but he was a young guy that had a lot of money and he wanted to meet chicks. Money to burn. <laughs> so his whole thing was, wow. so he said, if I, I don't have an education in and and video or film or or, or or photography. I'll buy it. So I'll just buy it. I'll, I'll start my own film school. Uh, so he did. He he had the money to invest in 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 creating a complete studio. So he bought his this studio on the sands, you know, it, right on the sand. It's it's a little bit of an oasis where he was, um, and in in a resort area. And so he built his school in the sands and that attracted people. So he went to LA and he advertised for uh, professionals that would be willing to come and teach in, in, in the Philippines, in, in the Philippines, in Cebu. 
And but with the understanding that part of the teaching thing, you would teach and also donate your services because he wanted to be a filmmaker. He wanted to be able to make, shoot his own movies, make his own movies. So he would be able to take advantage of, of professionals uh, who were, you know, at, and, and they could come there and, and, and he get his films done and they could also be basically like artists in residence there while he's there and, 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 and they could also teach. So I had a contract to teach, but I also had a production agreement for production, which they were all fun because he, he paid, he paid the He's bucks. financing his own films. Yeah. He's, he's financing the school. Yeah. So we were, so I was on the ground Amazing. level. I was on the ground levels, able to be in, involved in creating, um, you know, uh, uh, the gear that we needed and, and, you know, all the kind of things that we needed to, that he needed to be able to, to, to do what he wanted to do on a, on a large scale. So he, he, but he built his whole thing. He built sound stages. He built, um, uh, uh, sound studios. And I mean, it was a, it was a big deal. It was, it was just straight Hollywood in the middle of the Philippines. It was. Wow. So you were out there for seven years, for seven years. And then you came back and you became my boss. This was unaccompanied. So my wife was, was back in the States. And the I, whole time, the whole seven years. Yeah. Well, we, we had a deal I, in my contract. I had a deal to, to hook up with her or have the family come out or I come out. So it's for us to rotate at least, you know, a month, a month and a half, like every uh, uh, 90 days or wow. something, we'd be able to do something like that. Right. So, um, that was wow. the agreement that my my wife agreed to. So, but around the seven year mark, you know, my wife was saying, "Now she's saying, you know what, this is getting tough." Yeah, you need and, to, you and come I said, home. she says, "You need to come home. You got kids ready to go to college now." So I had to come back. Um, and when I came back to De- to to DC, I mean to LA now, um, the, the you know the industry keeps moving. Had totally changed by you that know, point. It probably. changed, and people, all of your contacts you know, things are different. So, but I come back and I, I had mortgages. I had, you know, I had to, Did life to, to attend to. Yeah. So even though things were, things were, things were good, um, I still needed to be able to survive. And yeah. so um, only thing I knew, um, when, when I went back to LA because there wasn't anything else. So I said, you know what? I remember I, you know, I only spent 12 years active duty. I came back to, I came back to DC just to visit a friend of mine. Yeah. Um, and I was driving up and just past Quantico and I'm saying, I thought to myself, I said, uh, this is kind of crazy, but you know, uh, I wonder if there's anybody at Quantico, you know, that would remember me. And so I, so I, how many years later, this was almost 30 years later. Wow. Right. So I said, um, let me stop and see if, you know, just for S and G, you know? Yeah. So I. I didn't think I was going to be able to get in, in, in the gate, but they let me in. Um, so I went, cause you had a car. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. But then <laughs> I, had, I was going to come back to you. Time, well, I had a car. This is, I had a regular car. This oh, time, okay. so I had a rent, I had a rental car as a matter of fact. <laughs> so I so was able to get into the building and I walked in, I went into the building and there was a guy there that, that we were staff sergeants together. That was, I couldn't believe it. And where'd you find this guy? In the, in the same building where I used to work. <laughs> at Quantico, right? So it was the same what building. Are the odds? Yeah. So I walk in, and so the guy says, um, "I said, I'm surprised that you're still here." He said, "Yeah, yeah, blah blah." blah. So we sh- we shot the shot the shot the breeze for a little bit, and then he said, "You know," he, I said, "Well, who else is still around?" I mean, everybody's everybody I know. They probably, but you're still alive. But I figured either they're dead or I, who knows. 
So he says, you know, Mr. Mr. Anderson is still here. And I said, Mr. Anderson. Oh, Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson. And, and he, uh, I remember the day he, he was a civilian, but I remember the day he started. Wow. And so, and so that was like 30 years, man. So That's I go, amazing. so he says, yeah, you should go see him before you leave. So I went, so he said. I can't believe you and you and me work for the same person. Isn't that amazing? Because I came in 2003. That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> So I walked up. So he, they, they, this was across the hall, across the, across the street from where I used to work, and so I walk up to where Mr. Anderson's office is, and I, and he was, it was about maybe about three three thirty in the afternoon, almost four o'clock, um, and I, I bang on the on the on the door, yeah, and then um, he says, "Who is it?" And I said, "It's Robinson." So I stuck my head around. And he went, Robbie, where the hell you been? You know, <laughs> where you been the past 30 years? Yeah. It's like he's waiting for you the whole yeah. time. So he said, so he says, so we, you know, so we had, an, so it was, it was great, man. I sat and talked to him for, we talked about 45, maybe, 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 maybe an hour or two. That's uh, so cool. I can't remember now, but we talked and talked and reminisced. And, and it, so he said in a conversation, he said, so what are you doing? He's, what are you doing here? I says, well, my wife. Uh, I was I was I was doing well in Southeast Asia, and my wife said, "You know what? You need to come home. <laughs> You're having too much fun." Yeah, you need to come home. And so I said, and I, you know, I I I did what she told me to do. God and bless it. So she told me, uh, "quote unquote," you need to get a real job. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I said, so I came back and I I stopped in to see, uh, you know, I, I I'm just shaking the trees. He, um, I said, you wouldn't happen to have a job, would you? And I was joking. And he says, he says, well, uh, he says, I, I know someone who's looking for a deputy up at the Pentagon. And I said, doing what? He said, doing what, you know, film and television. And I went, no way. And he says, yeah. He says, I, I mean, I can give him a call, you know, if you're interested. And I said, heck yeah. Uh, so you know, come back to the Marine Corps. So, yeah, that was my door back to the Marine Corps. So I said, but here's the thing. Um, and this is where I say I'm blessed because yeah. um, Ralph Anderson, this was, I remember it was a Friday. And then I, he said, Hit, get back with him like the next couple of days, like in the next week. I said, okay, I'll do that. So Monday morning, I get a call and it's the guy, Rick, who... The first that we were staff stars together, he says, hey, man, what's going on? I said, not much. He said, hey, did you ever talk to Ralph Anderson? I said, yeah, I talked to him. We talked for a, a good old time. He said, you know, he passed over the weekend. Yeah. And I said, are you kidding me? Yeah. So, um, but you know what? He made the call to the guy wow. that, um, that, that, eventually hired that you. eventually hired me, you know? And so, That's you know, amazing. it is, it is, you know, so, but I'm blessed. No you know? kidding. God bless, God bless Mr. Anderson. You know, he he really did look out for his people. Yeah. Um, yeah, he did. One question we always ask on the show is what trait or lesson did you learn in your service that you carried through all this incre this entire incredible journey? <laughs> well, you learn about it doesn't matter how long you stay in the Marine Corps or how long you uh, were a Marine. You start as a Marine. You learn your the things that are embedded in you as a Marine. Uh, and I think that until the day I die, um, uh, I have embranded in my heart, you know, um, the ethos 
of being a Marine, uh, the traditions of and what we represent as as a Marine Corps. No matter what, when you hear the Marine Corps hymn, you still lock your body. Um, you still um, remember the uh, principles of leadership mm. and and being able to remember all of those things that you know as you go through your your ter- your turn in the Marine Corps, your, your time in the Marine Corps, the things that are that instilled in you that that you are supposed to you never leave uh, your your guy uh, uh, another Marine on, on the battlefield. Um, you don't um, you you. You take care of your Marines, mm. you know, you, you, you learn them and you take, whether they're, whether they're Marines or whether they're people that you work with or, or people that you, um, that you share time with, yeah. um, in your business or, or in business, um, those principles and, and things all, uh, stay the same and, and you never forget. And, um, and, and, and it reminds, every time I see a, a an old guy at the grocery store with that hat, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't matter whether you've, um, uh, you spent one day or, or or 30 years, 30 years or 40 years, you have a common interest only because of that's that Eagle globe and anchor that is, that's, that's on his, on his, on his collar or on his hat or somewhere or in his heart or in his heart, you know? Mm. So, does that make sense? Absolutely, it totally makes sense, uh, and I th- I think you know you you carry that even after you after your service you carry that you carry those, those leadership principles those leadership traits yep. uh, the the honor courage and commitment yep. is something that uh, is instilled in every marine and I, I totally get that and so you you utilize those with you you know your determination and uh, of of always always get it done and and uh, simple fidelis is something that you never you never forget the meaning of what always faithful means and you try to stay that that way absolutely um i i always say when when i talk to, to people about rick robinson that uh you don't understand he paints with light he's an artist with light and so i learned a lot from you um but that first year that first year and a half um you had you did have an issue, or you had you had an issue where you were out for a while. Yeah. Uh, do you do you feel comfortable sharing with I that? I don't have a problem. Okay. So here's what happened. I started in 2010. Yeah. Uh, and so now it's 2019. So almost nine years, going on nine years. Uh, mm. But six months into my getting hired, uh, I had a stroke, and yeah. the stroke. Uh, was a game changer for me because uh, it it took because initially when it happened, um, I remember the the night before I was talking with with my wife and and, and family and and I felt something uh, I felt a slur, but um, every nobody else saw it or felt it or, or rec- recognized it. And then the next day I woke up I couldn't get out of bed I couldn't move. Um, mm. So I ended up going to, the, you know, my, my wife took me to the hospital, and I found out I had stroke. And so I had probably uh, seventy-five to eighty uh, percent of my right side. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't, couldn't function. And um, so wow. 
I went through that period. And so I was determined in my head against like the day I went to boot camp. I was determined that I was going to have to be able to use that because I was still going to be a, a cameraman. And so you learn about the difference between your cognitive side and your and your creative side. And I was determined that I would if I had if I had to lose anything, I would, you know, you know, I would I would be gambling with the, the fact that I, if I lose my creative side, I'm kind of I'm, I'm down for the count. But I was fortunately, you know, God willing, I was able to still keep my creative side and work on my creative side, which was the weak side. Um, I had to build all of that up. And so now today gotcha. I can, you know, I can, I have all of my functions. Yeah, and stuff you, like it that, looks but, like you look like you, I so, remember right after it was, it was a really rough go. And yeah, but, nowadays you, 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 you're going well. You know, I know my deficiencies and, and people, you know, a lot of times, most people won't know looking at me or talking with me what my deficiencies are, but, but I can recognize them and I know, I know what they are and I know what I can't do anymore. So I learned that. So the lesson that I get out of this was coming back to the Marine Corps and doing what I do, I've had an opportunity to meet people that have inspired me beyond anything. So I've met Medal of Honor recipients that I've got that are now my friends that I keep in touch with. Wow. Um, I talked to Sergeant Major Canley uh, a couple of nights ago, you know, <laughs> Kyle Carpenter. I talked to him and his mom and his, his you know, but Kyle Carpenter. Because you've worked on those productions I, I with them. Those now, productions now that you're back with the Marine Corps. And, and Kyle Carpenter was it's a story where this is a kid who was not supposed to be alive today. And so I learned from him and, and, and was able to take what I learned from him. And I learned about what a new normal is when you talk about the wounded warriors and you, so, and so all of those things. So you, you know, you can, you can't do anything, but want to, the hardest thing for me when I meet, when I see Kyle is to, is to not give him a hug. I mean, I love him like my son, you know, and, uh, but it, it helped me understand that what I had and even the scars that I have right now that I, that I share from my stroke, yeah. uh, I, I had an opportunity to correct them. I, I could have had the surgery to, uh, to correct it. But my thing was, no, I, I, I keep that scar visible because every day in the mirror, when I look in the mirror, it reminds me of what the path that I've come. And you so had a pretty I, scary surgery. I remember it was, it was, it, the scar is very deep on the back of your neck, right? Yeah. That's, yeah, that's one. Yeah. That's, yeah, I've got that one. That's a, that's a whole nother, that's a different one from this one that I have. Um, that's the one, that's the scar that, that um, because I have a piece of bone missing that that I never had replaced uh, from the from the brain. so I had after I had this I had the after I had the uh, stroke I had uh, uh, five brain operations so I had one uh, two of them that were pretty serious the the biggest one was wow. a brain bypass which was an 11 hour surgery where they had to take and redirect the the the, brain, the, the uh, blood flow of my cranial the blood that went to my brain. That's heavy stuff. So where can people follow your work now? Where can they follow Rick Robinson, cinematographer extraordinaire? <laughs> well, I have, uh, I have, uh, something called industry jump, uh, industry dot Interesting. jump, uh, excuse me, industry jump.com. Industry jump.com. Uh, yes. And then, uh, I have my Instagram, uh, I've, I think, uh, IMDb. Where can people see some of your work that you're doing now in the Marine Corps? 
Uh, like, cause you're doing the birthday message every year, correct? Birthday message and every so year. Every Marine will see your video at least once a year. Yes. And this last year, right now, currently the, uh, the, uh, last year's, uh, birthday message is, uh, we're nominated for an Emmy. Uh, congratulations. So, so well, thank you. One of the things I, I wanted to prove again yeah. is coming back to the Marine Corps. The day I got hired, I said, you know what, when I, I don't feel my job's done until I leave here and and create an opportunity for the Marine Corps and and the guys who I work with to have an opportunity to win an Emmy. I remember you saying that. Yep. And so I so now that whether I whether we win or not, um, at least I I I put in a gallant try. If you win the Emmy this year with your Marines, what mm-hmm. one are you gonna be more proud of? The the one with the uh, on ice or with with your Marines? Oh, definitely with the with, with the Marines. You know that's something that. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, because you know it's a it's a these I had to I had to convince them. Well, let's put it this way: when I even told them, I listed them on the entry form so that they would receive a statuette as well. You know, so that blew that blew their minds. You know, but my whole thing is is like, no, it's something that you worked on, and it's something that you should. Um, uh, be the recipient if if it comes through, and so you should. You know, you. I want you to feel the way I felt the first time I had an opportunity. I love that you pay that back to the Marine Corps and pay that to the, down to the Marines that 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 work for you. Um, that's that's amazing. So, uh, Rick, thank you for taking the time for this. Uh, I look forward to now that I'm back in DC, mm-hmm. many more times that you and I can get together before you uh, before your retirement comes, and I hope it's not soon at all I served in Vietnam I served in World War II I served in Afghanistan and VA serves us all no matter when you served no matter if you saw combat or not there are benefits for veterans of every generation see what VA can do for you to learn what benefits you may be eligible for visit www.va.gov. That's www.va.gov. What a, what a journey. What a journey, Rick. You can find more information on Rick at industryjump.com forward slash profile forward slash Rick Robinson forward slash overview. And it lays out his entire career. It's pretty impressive. This week's Born the Battle Veteran of the Week is from our VA Veteran of the Day program. Every day, our digital media team honors a veteran on all of our social media platforms and with a blog on blogs.va.gov. You can nominate the veteran in your life by sending in a short write-up and about five good photos to newmedia at va.gov. Megan Levy. Graduating high school in 2001, she then attended State University of New York at Cortland. After about a year, Levy left college, moved back home, and got a job. Affected by the September 11th, 2001 attacks, she joined the Marines in 2003. Hey, same year I did. After basic training, she went to Camp Pendleton in California, where she joined the K-9 unit and partnered with Sergeant Rex, a tough, aggressive German Shepherd. In May of 2005, Levy and Rex deployed to Fallujah, Iraq. Their job was to walk in front of a patrol or convoy with Rex sniffing out hidden explosives. After six months, they returned to Camp Pendleton, 
Yet in May of 2006, Rex and Levy deployed again to Iraq, this time Ramadi. So they went to Fallujah and then Ramadi. On September 4th, 2006, they were on assignment sweeping an area for an army unit when insurgents set off an IED. Levy and Rex survived, but both suffered serious injuries. They returned to Camp Pendleton where they underwent intensive physical therapy for a year. During this time, Levy prepared new canine handlers for deployment. In December of 2007, she was discharged as a corporal. Levy and Rex conducted more than 100 missions. When Levy returned home, she used her canine handling expertise and worked for a security firm with her new partner, Patriot. Four years after Levy and Rex separated, Levy learned that Rex had facial palsy and retired. Rex was not adoptable due to his aggressive nature, but Levy was determined to adopt him. So she reached out to the Rockland County Veterans Service Agency in New York, and more than 22,000 people signed a petition for the adoption. In April of 2012, Levy and Rex were reunited. They lived together for eight months before, sadly, Rex died in 2012 at the age of 11. There have been several tributes to Levy and Rex, including a statue in their honor in Haverstraw Bay Park in Rockland County and a dog park dedicated to them in Congress, New York. In 2017, the movie Megan Levy was made about their story. Megan is now a veterinary technician in New Jersey. Marine veteran Megan Levy. Thank you for your service. That's it for this week's episode. If you yourself would like to nominate a Born the Battle Veteran of the Week, you can. Just send an email to podcast at va.gov, quote a short write-up, and let us know why you'd like to see him or her as the Born the Battle Veteran of the Week. And if you like this podcast episode, hit the subscribe button. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, pretty much any podcasting app known to phone, computer, tablet, or man. For more stories on veterans and veteran benefits, check out our website, blogs.va.gov. Got tons of stuff on there. And follow the VA on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, RallyPoint, LinkedIn, Pinterest, DEPT Vet Affairs, U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, no matter the social media, you can always find us with that blue check mark. And as always, I'm reminded by people smarter than me to remind you that the Department of Veterans Affairs does not endorse or officially sanction any entities that may be discussed in this podcast, nor any media products or services they may provide. I say that because the song you're hearing now is called Machine Gunner, which is courtesy of the nonprofit Operation Song and was written by Marine veteran Mark Milkilhenny, Nashville songwriter Jason Seaver, and Michael Duncan. Thank you again for listening. Have a great day, and we'll see you right here next week. Take care. We gotta get them one way or the other. Machine gun. bullets fly to my brain. Simplify till we're done of campaign. My desk is a rock where the drug lords cut up a 7.62 round that'll cut them down in an instant. Point, click, pull the trigger to the tune of falling brass. Full benefits and a purple heart and a Russian-made bullet in my back. Raiding down lead, punching that clock. Get them, boys, I'm laying down cover. Machine gun. Bullets fly, they in my brain. Simplify, do or die, another campaign. You 
we go, lock and load, oh, 331, lug a thousand rounds, and I ain't bringing back one.